morning. Welcome to Grace Point. Those of you joining us online, welcome to you too. Just a heads up, we're doing communion today, so you'll want to get those elements ready at home if you're going to participate with us at the end of service in that way. Uh, today we're to the last message of our series, Becoming Whole in This Fractured World. Um, the world we live in is fractured due to sin. And really when you look at sin, it's a failure to love God and to love others uh, correctly. In addition to this fracturing of sin, then we have these powers and principalities at work. Um, These are hostile forces that are uh, active in individuals, institutions, and ideologies, uh, causing and leading them into deception and division and dehumanization. We have this working also with sin, further fracturing uh, humanity. And if that's not enough, then we all have some kind of trauma usually in our lives that we've had to deal with. And if you don't deal with that trauma correctly, you'll end up having a misconception about yourself. And I've seen a lot of people who are really in a lot of pain because of some past trauma. And then they, they tend to hurt other people because out of pain, people kind of become a pain to others, right? And so trauma also contributes to this fracturing of our existence. Um, for the last several weeks, we've been looking at the solution side to this fractured uh, 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 world that we live in. And it it really, wholeness begins when we have this real robust, true authentic prayer life going on with God. We're not only just praying for some things, we're praying really to know who God is and to understand his will. We're listening as well as as talking. And and then really, if we're going to become whole in a fractured world, we got to become people who are humble. Understanding our poor in spirit condition, Pastor Serenity referred to that today, and that we really are desperately in need of God and his healing in our lives. And so humility begins with this right understanding of ourselves and understanding who God is and seeing things as they, as they really are. And then we talked about this idea that we can have this peace. We can be a calming presence in the midst of chaos. It, Jesus has come to give us this peace that surpasses understanding, right? That we can really begin to experience. If you don't know the peace of Jesus, ask him for that. We don't have to be going all over crazy, upset all the time about everything that's going on. We can have the peace of Christ prevailing in our lives. In the last couple of weeks, Pastor Aaron's been talking about, I think, really a couple of critical uh, pieces of the wholeness equation. We got to understand conflict biblically. And uh, conflict, sometimes it's God's means to get us to a deeper relational um, understanding with other people. It's not, a, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And forgiveness, oh my goodness. I tell you what, if you want to hurt yourself, be unforgiving, amen? Because that's all you hurt is yourself. It does all kinds of, of, of havoc on your body and your spirit. And so forgiveness is just, a, a, just paramount to becoming, I think, whole in, in Jesus Christ. What would you guess is the last piece that we're going to talk on today to this solution side of, of this series? Now, if you haven't read the book, Good and Beautiful and Kind, Becoming Whole in This Fractured World, you, you are the ones I'm really asking today because the rest of you already know the answer. What would, you, what would you think? There's one other thing we need to cover today here in this series. What would that one thing be? And I'm looking at you because I'm not really expecting you to give me an answer because you won't. Because that's who we are in this culture. We're quiet. But when I got to the final chapter of the book, I remember thinking, 
Well, first of all, I was, I was harassing Aaron because he had to talk on conflict, and I thought that was funny. And then I got to the one I have to talk on. I said, oh, rats. If I was smart, he would have had this one too. But um, it's justice. I'm going to talk with you on justice today. And I remember when I first read about justice, I go, really? I got to preach on justice? I don't want to. I don't. If I was doing this series myself, I probably wouldn't have concluded with talking on justice being a key contributor to our wholeness. Um, but as I looked into it the last couple of weeks and kind of ruminated on it, I began to begin to like it. I begin to say, oh, this makes a lot of sense. It's grown on me. Um, as I've listened to Aaron the last couple of weeks talk on, on conflict resolution and, and uh, forgiveness, and then I read the book too and really meditated on those uh, topic matters, I, I begin to see some commonality here that, that really we, we need to understand. When it comes to conflict resolution and forgiveness, what God's really interested in is Relational restoration. Amen? He doesn't care, husbands and wives, if you're fighting, who wins? He honestly doesn't, unless it's really a moral issue. What he wants is for you to live in harmony and have a deep abiding love one for the other. And your conflict should lead to some of that, ultimately. He's really about relationship. Forgiveness. Why is forgiveness so important? Because God wants us to be in right relationship with one another. He's about restoring that's wrong, what's wrong and making it, it right again. And so um, today as we look into justice, guess what? Justice is misunderstood unless you understand the restorative side of it. That it's not about being right and being, quote, just. It's about understanding that God wants us to have this restorative relationship, understanding going on with other people. So just like forgiveness and just like conflict, uh, justice has built into it this idea of being restorative. After the fall of apartheid in South Africa, Archbishop uh, Desmond Tutu led his country in the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. They call that TRC, right? And the TRC rejected two extremes here normally implemented after such injustices and violence. There'd be no blanket amnesty, nor would every perpetrator face military tribunals as war criminals, such as took place after World War II. They opted for the third way, granting amnesty to individuals in exchange for a full disclosure, full confession relating to the crime for which the amnesty was being sought. The third way was based on the concept of restorative justice, and that was part, and Tutu said this is part of the traditional African culture. And he wrote this, the central concern is the healing of breaches, the readdressing of imbalances, the restoration of broken relationships, a seeking to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator, and the perpetrator would be given the opportunity to be reintegrated into the community he has injured by his offense. That is not the way we look at justice, is it? So we in the West think of justice mainly in what I would call retribution terminology. There's punishment for the wrongdoer. The greater the crime, the greater the what? Punishment. An eye for an eye, a uh, tooth for a tooth. Uh, retributive justice unfortunately uses an adversarial approach uh, to the subject matter. It, 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 there's no healing that happens there. There's just some... some punishment that's exacted on somebody who's committed some kind of a crime, but there's no restorative, you know, part or piece of that whatsoever. And that, my friends, is a wrong understanding of justice. So let me ask you a question. 
When you hear the term justice, what do you think? What comes to your mind? What's the picture you see? I'm just going to let you think on that for just a second. What, what do you think of justice? If someone asked you to define the term justice, what would you say? I love how Rich uh, Viodas calls it a, a Rorschach word. I don't know if you know what a Rorschach is. Rorschach, that ink block that you see with the psychiatrist. Um, it's going to pop up here on the screen behind me. Um, you, you, you would go there and the, 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 the psychiatrist, you know, would put that down. And he'd say, what, what do you think that represents? And I mean, I look at it, every time I look at it, I get a different answer. How about you? At first I thought, it kind of looks like a scary man. There's two eyeballs there with a kind of a bad mouth and some funny ears. Well, then it looks like a cat because cats are scary, amen? <laughs> right? I don't like cats and they, 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 I, don't, I don't trust them. I think they're going to bite me when they get close to me. Anyway, um, you know, then I think, well, I don't, maybe it's a bat. I don't know, I've kind of hung up on animals. Um, the, here, here's the thing is when you look at this Rorschach and uh, you know this ink blot what, what, 100 people are going to have a different answer right I mean that's pretty common and they use it supposedly to analyze, analyze your personality I don't know when it comes to justice guess what happens same thing you talk to 100 people they all have a, a different definition of what justice is therein lies the challenge when we talk about this subject matter some see justice as Rights and freedoms. We're Americans. So people, when they think of justice, say, land of the free, land of liberty, the pursuit of happiness. That's justice, is it? Is that the way, biblically, justice would be defined? Some see justice about punishment for crime. We want a just culture. And when you hear someone say that, what they're saying is, we want to punish the snot out of people. Ooh, I said that too strongly, didn't I? I get scared when I hear people saying, we're going we're to be hard on crime. What they mean is, we're going to punish people like crazy to make them do what's right. Be careful what you believe, right? Because that maybe is a solution, maybe not. Some think justice is this. You do good, you get good in return. You do bad, you get bad in return. So therefore, when bad things happen in their life and they think they're a good person, they what? They blame God. He's not very just. He's not very fair because they have a wrong definition of justice. All these are inadequate ways of looking at justice and it can lead to further fracturing instead of healing. So I want to quote to you from theologian Scott McKnight. He, 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 says, he says this, um, that our definition of justice must not begin by looking at surrounding culture. And then he goes on to say this, justice for the Christian is not about freedom or liberty, right, individualism, or the pursuit of happiness. When that is what justice means to the Christian, that Christian has adopted then the Western value system as the standard for which justice is defined. Christians can't let the Constitution, they can't let John Stuart Mill or Karl Marx or whatever particular bet you might have, define what justice means. We have to define justice in a way consistent with what 
It means, as Jesus shared it with us, what the Bible says it is. Now, here's how I would define justice biblically. And I'm going to use some language that we've been using throughout this series so that it kind of flows with the series, okay? So I, would call, I call this God's justice defined. I would define it this way. It's God's relentless pursuit to right this fractured world. That's justice. God's relentless pursuit to right the wrong of this world. That's biblically justice, what it means. God, we know by nature, is a just God. It's not something he does every now and then. It's his nature, just like love is his nature. Psalm 103.6 clearly articulates this for us. It says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. It is who he is. He's constantly righting the wrong. He's constantly seeing the plight of the oppressed. And he has a heart to make it right. And he calls his people. He calls you and me. He calls us to participate in this righting of wrong. As Isaiah says in, in his book, chapter 1, verse 17, he says to us, he says to God's people, learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. So at the core of God is his justice. It's part of his nature. And so at the core of us, if we're going to be whole, if we're going to experience wholeness in a fractured world, at our core has to be this biblical understanding of justice and the desire to step into it and to live it out also. Now, God's justice is rooted in love, right? He has our best interests in mind, and that's what motivates him. It's rooted in love. Um, so at the core of our beings, our justice has to be rooted in love and a genuine concern for others. Um, I was listening to 1 Chronicles chapter 21 the other day in my Bible reading. And what I want to do is just talk to the elephant in the room because if I don't talk on this, everybody will think, well, there is a punishment side of justice. Yes, there is. There is a justice, uh, there is a uh, consequence side uh, to justice. And I don't want to ignore that. And, and so let's just get this uh, over with and talked about here. And then we'll move on to this writing uh, of wrongs uh, a little bit more. So I'm, I'm listening to First Chronicles uh, chapter 21. And I, I find this a fascinating chapter of the Bible. It begins this way. It says, Satan rose up against Israel. I said, oh, that can't be good, right? Satan rose up against Israel. He incites King David to take a census. And David succumbed to that. He, he takes a, 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 a census, you know, against the counsel of Job and some of those ones around him. Say, why are you doing this? And what David was doing when he was taking a census was twofold wrong. First of all, God didn't ask him to do it, so he shouldn't have done it. Second, it appears the motivation for doing this was that he wanted to show himself the multiplied troops that he had and how great he was. So he's being kind of self-reliant and he's doing it for the wrong reasons and it's a sin, all right? So he realizes, oh no, I've sinned. He realizes it really quickly. One thing I love about David is he's quick to see when he sins and admits it. And he admits he's sinned, but God says, David, there's some consequences to your sin. See, that's part of justice, right? And he says, I'm going to give you a choice. Three things that can take place. Three years of famine. You can remember this as three. Three years of famine, three months at the hands of your enemy, or three days of a plague instituted by God. It's your choice, buddy. And I love 
David's logic here. He says, let me fall into the hands of God, not into the hands of men I choose to plague. You know why David said that? Because he trusted what? God's loving kindness and God's mercy, which are new every morning. And he said, I'd rather fall into the hands of God, who I know will administer his justice in love and mercy, than to fall into the hands of men who I don't know if they'll do that at all. Amen? And so we got to understand, yes, when we, when we look at justice, yes, there is a consequence side. But even in the consequence side here, we see God's love and, and his mercy. Um, it's, his justice is rooted in his love. If you remove love from justice, what do you have? Judgmentalism, harshness, punishment, retribution. It doesn't bring any kind of restoration here at all. So our justice must be shaped by the love of God and the love for others. And I, I thought, okay, how, how, how does justice manifest itself in my life? So I began to think, how would this manifest itself for me, okay? Just give you some examples. I thought, hmm, I have to be a person of compassion because my natural inclination is to be a person of indifference. How about you? Sometimes we look at compassion and think the opposite is hating on people. No, I think compassion sometimes is the opposite is indifference, just not seeing it, just not caring, just not being aware. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to be a person who rights the wrong in this world, maybe for me it just begins by having empathy and compassion for people. Amen? How about you? Some make this hard. Some of this stuff is pretty direct and pretty easy to do. And then I got to thinking, you know, it's humility versus pride. It's actually living a life of true humility. I may say, I'm a humble person. <laughs> you know, I think I live it. But then you have to really live as a humble person where it can't be about your ego. It can't be about recognition of other people. You have to truly say, God, I have to diminish you. I have to increase in my life. And, you know, my, my main way I want to interact with people is truly with this, this attitude of I'm poor in spirit. I'm humble before you and others. That's, that's righting the wrong. And how about this? I thought, yeah, God, you want your people to be generous. Generous with their time. Generous with their talents and their resources. You want us to have this generosity towards those around us. You don't want us governed by greed. You want us governed by, by generosity. These are ways that we right the wrong around us. These are ways that we interact with this world that's so fractured and we bring the wholeness of Jesus uh, uh, to bear on it. Like conflict resolution and like forgiveness, Justice is so much about uh, relationship restoration. In fact, I would say this. Justice is to be aimed at restoration. Okay? It's to have restoration as its target. It's not ever to be simply about retribution. Justice is to be aimed at restoration. It's not simply about retribution. Years ago, at Grace Point, this is a long time ago, probably eight years ago, I did a, a message from Matthew chapter 18. It might have been more like 10 years ago. I don't know. Anyway, I did a, a, a message from Matthew 18. I had, a, had quite, a, quite a response to that message. Um, and basically what I was talking on in that message was I said, if someone sins against you, you're to go to them first and try to seek, you know, restoration of the relationship. Because God is always interested in What? restoration and relationship, not who's right, not who's wrong. You're not to go to me. You're not to go to some other elder. You're not to go to your friends. You're to go to the person who's offended you first, amen, and seek restoration and righting other relationship that's been broken by 
some kind of sin or some kind of wrong. Now, this scripture is referring to if a brother or sister does this, it's one-on-one. They do something, Chad did something to me or I did something to Chad. It's between us. None of you, it doesn't affect anybody else. Then the right way for us to resolve that is to go to each other and figure it out. Why? Because God's justice aims at what? Restoration first. Not who's right, not who's wrong. It's aimed at restoration. We have to understand that concept of biblical justice or we diminish it to something less than it's meant to be. So this enlightens our understanding of how to even deal with uh, some, some conflict and how to do justice in the middle of conflict. So let me read to you now Matthew 18 with this understanding of God wants us to have an understanding of justice that's aimed at restoration. Now, let me read that, Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. Listen to this now with what I just shared, uh, kind of percolating in your brain, okay? If another believer sins against you, one-on-one, you two have an issue, okay? Nobody else is involved here. Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, You've won that person back. Why? Because God wants us to aim for what? Restoration. But then if you're unsuccessful, take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. Then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. It doesn't say... Take your case to social media first. (laughs) Right? I mean, come on. I see this happening all the time. It goes right to social media and I'm going, oh my goodness. It's such a violation of relational restoration. It's such a wrong understanding of justice. It doesn't say you've been wrong. Find five good friends and get them all on your side agreeing with you that you've been wronged so that you can just kind of magnify the problem to a great perspective that it ought not to be magnified to. It says what? Go privately. Have a talk. Because they're your brother or sister in Christ. And the main concern should be right relationship. You're righting the wrong. That's God's justice defined biblically. Think about Jesus. He took our punishment upon himself. He took the wrongs we committed upon himself. So that what? We can be called the righteousness of God. So, so we see their justice, God's justice, that there has to be a consequence for sin. Jesus took our sin upon himself. But it didn't just stay there. He righted the wrong. So that you and I can be right with God and we can be declared the righteousness of God now because of what Christ has done. That's biblical justice. What I want to do here is uh, talk to you about having a justice reset. Because I think for me, as I was studying this, I know this stuff, but it really began to reset justice in my own mind. What it's really about. And so, uh, Rich... uh, Viodas says, the work of justice requires a theological and emotional reimagining. I like that language. We have to begin to think about it really differently. And I, I don't know about you, but I, I just, I thought, I need a justice reset. And so we need to define it ruthlessly biblical. Justice is not about retribution. 
It's way beyond punishment. It's not limited to some kind of courtroom thing with a, you know, the classic, you know, viewpoint of justice being through that. There's nothing wrong with the courtroom. It just doesn't, it's just not biblical justice. It, it tends to punish more than it restores. It tends to, uh, you know, the greater the crime, the greater the power. You know, you follow what I'm saying there. Um, so let's talk about what needs to take place here. And I'm going to use first person language in what I'm going to share with you. Because here's what I hope happens. I hope that you take to heart what I'm about to share, and this becomes your own conviction on how justice needs to be looked at and handled in your life. Um, and I'm not going to talk anymore on the idea that, that, that justice is more than retribution, because I've already hammered on that, all right? So what we're going to do is talk about um, seeing what justice really is. Are you with me on this? So I'm going to do it in first person. Listen to the statement. You know, if I'm going to have a reset in justice, I'm going to move beyond seeing justice as a renouncement or a religious activity to participating with God in righting this wrong world. So I'm going to move beyond seeing justice as a renouncement of something that's wrong or a religious activity, and I'm going to participate with God and saying, how, God, do you want me to participate in righting this wrong world? Now, culture has become adept at renouncement, at naming what's wrong. Have you noticed that? This is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong. Every time I pick up some kind of news article, I see everything that's wrong. But there are not very many solutions. Church, we can't just be people who say this is wrong. We gotta move beyond, that's a starting point. Uh, uh, saying, okay, this is wrong. But th th that's just a starting point. Justice needs to move from announcement. There, there needs to be some kind of appropriate action that goes along with it. Some kind of change in life. Some kind of change in the way you treat others that has to be part of, of biblical uh, justice. And also, we must not substitute religiosity for justice. I love the exchange that Jesus has with the Pharisees in Luke chapter 11, verse 42. Listen to what he says. This is Jesus speaking. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens. I want you. Hey, anybody grow an herb garden in here? Anybody at all? I mean, there's not a lot of produce there, amen? It's spices. And they're, they're, they're about, you know, I'm going to tithe on my, I'm going to tithe on my garlic. I don't know what, I mean, I, is that an herb? Anyway, you follow what I'm saying. I'm not going to tithe on this. But then he says, you ignore justice and love of God. Sure, you should tithe, Jesus says. Sure, you should do. Yes, of course, you should tithe. But do not neglect the more important things, justice and love. And right before this statement of Jesus, he's talking with these Pharisees. And all around them are the oppressed, the poor, the, the, the people that are being oppressed. And he goes, right here in front of you sits a whole bunch of oppressed people that you could be helping and you could be ministering to and you could be loving on, you know. Instead, what you're so concerned is, is with your religious activity. It's so much so that you're even tithing on your herb gardens. Are you serious? You getting the tone of this thing? It's going, you're missing the big scale thing around you that's happening and you're replacing it with religious observance. He says, sure, tithe, but do the obvious. Love justice and love people around you and minister to them. So that's the first 
thing we can do, it's a reset. We don't reduce it to just renouncement, saying something's wrong, or religious activity. Secondly is this, I can't fix the world, but I can faithfully respond to the fracture around me and with my resources in the love of Jesus. So I can't fix the whole world, but I can faithfully address fracture around me with my resources and with the love of Jesus. I can be something to somebody. I can't be all things to everybody, amen? But I can do something. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is sending out his disciples to Israel and he gives them all kinds of instruction. And I love how he ends with saying this in verse 42 of Matthew 10. And if you give even a cup of cold water to, to one of the least of my followers, you're going to surely be rewarded. Now listen, friends. Can't we all give a cup of cold water to somebody? So oftentimes, righting the wrong begins with small acts of kindness. And just truly seeing someone around you, someone around you and caring. And God takes these small acts, these small gestures, and with his anointing, does tremendous amounts of good with them. Two things, I think, transpire when we start adopting this attitude. One, it changes us. We begin to say, okay, I can't do all things for everybody, but I can do something for somebody. And you begin to participate in the redemptive activity of God. And that blesses your heart. And then secondly, these small acts will bless somebody else way more than often we realize. Just a smile, just acknowledge somebody's there. Just seeing them sometimes can make a person's day. And you're righting or wrong. You're joining God in, in, in freeing the captive and freeing the oppressor. Amen, right? Or the oppressed, I should say. Anyway, um, and so those two things are ways to reset you know, our understanding of justice. What I want to end is with is, is talk to you about justice in action just for a few moments here. So we've talked about this a lot. This is super important, but we have to have a justice that's in action. And, and now here's the things. If you didn't hear anything else, please just hear what I'm about to share with you, okay? I just want you to really, really do some of this. Justice in action has, I think, three things that we can do. One, see people. See people and give them dignified attention. I mean, Jesus was just masterful at this. The leper comes to him and he says to him, Lord, Lord, if you will, you can heal me of my leprosy. And Jesus, we're told, looked at him. He saw him. He gave him dignified attention. He said, I will be healed. He looked past the man's disease and he saw the person behind the disease. He saw the plead. He said, I see you. I will be healed. And then you have the quadruple being lowered down in the roof of the house, right, by his four friends in this mat. And, um, and I, I, always, I always find that just the, little, the conversation there fascinating. Uh, the scripture says that Jesus saw their great faith. As they, as they were, 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 were lowering this guy down in front of him, and he looks at this person, I think he gave him his, his, you know, this dignified attention. He saw this person in this mat. He saw this woundedness. He saw the faith of his friends. And he said, your sins are forgiven, be healed. He saw them. We're to see people around us and give them dignified attention. Can everybody do that here? Come on, can you all do that? Yes! Can we become participants in righting this wrong world? Yeah! It can begin this simply, seeing people and giving them dignified attention. We can all do this. We can all become participants in the cause of Christ and we can all become part of God's redemptive activity by, by doing something this simple. 
Sin causes fracture. It's a lack of love of God and a lack of love of people. Seeing people and giving them dignified attention is a way to show them love, a way to minister wholeness in a fractured world. You know, it's easy to come to a church like this anonymously. We're bigger, right? I asked first hour, we're kind of big, right? And they all kind of, I don't know. Yes, we are. We're kind of big. It is easy to come to church like this and do it anonymously. With nobody seeing you, you can kind of come in and come and go out. And if you're new to us and you're just figuring this out, just come and be anonymous. That's fine. But don't stay there. Eventually, practice seeing others here. It's a friendly place. Practice seeing others here. Don't wait for someone to do it to you. You do it to them. Amen? Don't say, nobody saw me today or said hi to me. And my first question would be, who did you see today and who did you say hi to? Right? Practice friendliness. Practice seeing others and giving them dignified attention. You know why? So it becomes a habit. So when you go to Walmart, you do that. When you see the in-laws, you're going, oh boy, here come the in-laws. You can do this. Amen? You know what? I mean, you want to practice here where everybody's happy? We should be sort of happy. So you get in the habit. Build the habit of seeing people and giving them dignified attention. Two, be an influence for Christ to individuals, institutions, and ideologies. I mean, powers and principalities fracture by being hostile forces to individuals, institutions, and ideologies. Listen, beloved of Jesus Christ, you become a force for godliness to individuals, to institutions, and to ideologies. Amen? See yourself called uh, to be uh, that kind of an influence. And I'm not talking about political action. I'm not talking about protesting. I'm talking about small acts of kindness. You begin to just be a person where you do small acts of kindness to people and institutions. And you influence ideologies with, with gentleness. You know what? Um, you can have godliness in the face of ungodliness. You can have gentleness in return for harshness. And you can become an influence for the cause of Christ. This is good for your soul, by the way. And it's good for those around you. I love how our community here at Grace Point is so active in so many parts of the community at large. Letting the light of Jesus shine in the community. Good for you. Thank you for those of you who do that. It's, it's tremendously important to be that kind of an influence to individuals, institutions, and ideologies. I have a quote of John Wesley's that hangs above my dresser that I read just about every morning. Or I look at it and go, oh, you know, it's right there on purpose. So I see it every day as I'm getting my socks and undies out of the dresser, right? Is that too much information for you all? But anyway, yes, I do dress just like the rest of you do. Okay. So just want to just say that. Here we have... Yeah, way too much information. So here, here, is, here is this plaque that's above my dresser. And frequently I'll stop and I'll just read that thing. But here's what it says. Do all the good you can. By all the means that you can. In all the ways that you can. In all the places you can. At all the times you can. To all the people you can. As long as you ever can. That's a good statement by John Wesley. And I read that every morning. I think, okay, that's what I want to do today, God. In a small way, I want to be influenced for good to people, to institutions, and to ideologies, all right? 
Number three, see yourself as part of the healing community of Grace Point here at large. You're part of this church family. See yourself that way. We need to be the real deal here. We're where grace abounds and trauma is healed. We need to seek to be truly the genuine body of Jesus, Jesus Christ. As Richard Villalaza says, we need to be establishing a colony of heaven here on earth. We need to be doing that as a church. Um, we need to be filled with the person of the Holy Spirit. And I, I pray this frequently that we would be an Acts 2 church. And I, I'm referring specifically to verses 42 through, through uh, uh, 47 here. Listen to this. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, which we're going to do in just a moment here, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles also performed many miraculous signs and wonders, and all the believers met together in the one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and their possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared the meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. When we come together and praise God here, wow, amen. Be part of the community of Grace Point. Be on board. Be contributing. Well, let me wrap up here today. How do we come whole in a fractured world? Pray. Pray. Listen. Don't just talk. Abide with God. Love Jesus. Walk humbly with your God, asking him what he wants you to do. Ask to experience and to be a calm presence in the midst of chaos. Rightly handle conflict, using it to promote authentic relationship. Forgive as you've been forgiven. We've been forgiven so much. It should, it should, should instill in us a forgiveness attitude. And then do justice. Be part of God's writing of this wrong world. And, um, and then I think we're going to be people who experience God's wholeness in the midst of a fractured world.